Sudan is not a place you are likely to visit. For nearly 40 years, its stability has been shredded by civil war and factional infighting. And as we have heard in news reports in recent weeks, the US State Department has withdrawn diplomats and strongly urged all American citizens to leave the country. I have listened to these reports with particular interest in that First Baptist Church of Newport News where I was pastor for better than 15 years was selected to resettle five young Sudanese men who were part of some 20 to 30,000 refugees who at the time were called the Lost Boys of Sudan. During the second civil war of the 1980s and 90s, it was commonplace for soldiers from the north to sweep down into villages in the south, killing the men and some women, enslaving the young women and girls, and forcing the boys they found to become boy soldiers in their movement. According to Sudanese culture, every morning, the boys of the village drove the cattle, the collective herd of cattle, into the jungles and pastures to forage. So most of the boys were gone from the villages when the soldiers attacked them. In many cases, the boys heard gunfire and returned to watch from the jungle at the edge of their village as their parents were murdered and their sisters and younger women were often violated before being loaded into trucks to be sold as slaves. The boys most often six to 10 years old, were left cowering in the jungle, wondering what to do next. The emphasis has been through the years on the lost boys, but a number of girls managed to escape into the jungle as well. And the girls had it better and worse than the boys. Sudanese culture dictated that Girls must be a part of a family. So from the refugee camps, those who arrived safely, the girls were placed in homes with families. This sounds good. But in many cases, the girls became virtual servants in the homes who could eventually be married off with the families collecting a handsome dowry. So there was some ulterior motive oftentimes in adopting these girls. The boys who survived to reach refugee camps were often there for years 
before they were resettled in other countries. The United States agreed to accept about 3,600 of them, of which, as I mentioned, First Baptist Church of Newport News resettled five in about 2000 or 2001. Years later, I sat in an auditorium in Atlanta with several pastors from Virginia. I had gone as an executive editor of the Religious Herald, the Virginia Baptist News Organization, to report on the leadership conference we were attending, which showcased excellent preaching, but also wonderful music as well. One group was an African children's choir, which entertained us with their lively movements as well as their harmony. Because of my experience with our five boys, although by the time they came to us, they were all young men, 17 or 18 years old. But because of this, I felt an instant connection to this choir. The children were not all from Sudan, but like the Sudanese boys, they had been displaced by warfare and had become orphaned. As one of their songs ended, the director asked, who would like to share your favorite Bible verse? And hands shot up. I wondered to myself, what kind of Bible verse would these children select? These children who had been traumatized in ways we can only imagine, what would appeal to them most? The director called on John, and John, little John, stepped to the microphone, <clears throat> excuse me, and he said, my favorite Bible passage is Psalm 23. And I confess to you, I felt a little disappointment. I mean, the 23rd Psalm is everybody's favorite, or at least high up on the list, isn't it? I was expecting to hear from this child who had been through what he had to hear some unusual verse. But the 23rd Psalm. And he began in his heavily accented English to quote, The Lord is my shepherd, he said. And suddenly, unexpectedly, I was back with our five boys listening to their stories. Transfixed and traumatized I was as they tried to put into words the hopelessness they felt crouching in the undergrowth at the edge of the village, having just witnessed what they had. And suddenly, 
suddenly John's words began to take on new meaning. Our five described their hopelessness. What do we do now, they asked. In a huddle of a half dozen or so, they began to walk aimlessly, not knowing where they were going or what they would do. Eventually, in the dense jungle, they came across and merged with other groups of children who were as lost as they were. And suddenly I saw the significance of a shepherd in an entirely new light. These children knew how precious a shepherd is, someone to guide and protect. John continued, I shall not want, he said. No one knows how many children were displaced by the African wars, but it is known that thousands of them died during the thousand-mile trek through the dense jungles and partial deserts they traversed en route to a refugee camp in Ethiopia. Tragically, many died of malnutrition or its complications. They ate grass or roots or fruit when they could find it. Occasionally, they would come to a village, but in most cases, the villagers repelled them because they hardly had food enough for themselves, much less for an influx of boys who were starving. Want was definitely something they knew about. So John's words, I shall not want, took on new meaning. By this time, he had my full attention. He continued, he makes me lie down in green pastures. They had kept to the dense jungles to remain hidden, to venture out into the open, and to lie down in an open space was unthinkable. But John's words called me from my thoughts. He leads me beside still waters. In my mind, I returned to the circle of our five boys and I felt once more a kind of horror as the boys told of the day the soldiers discovered them. And they began to shoot them as though in sport. And the boys ran for their very lives through the jungle 
Behind them, they heard rifle shots and the screams of the wounded. Eventually, they came to a river. Behind them, the soldiers. Before them, the river. Many of them could not swim. But facing certain death, if they remained where they were, they plunged into the river. But these were not still waters. They were crocodile-infested waters. And the miracle is that many of the children actually made it to the other shore. But many others did not. Seeing through their eyes, I valued still waters as never before. John's words pierced the stillness. He restores my soul. <clears throat> These children all suffered from some form of post-traumatic stress. Who could think otherwise? As a means of survival, they erected for themselves emotional walls. They had cauterized their souls and blocked their feelings. Only those whose souls have withered can understand the significance of having one's soul restored. John's small voice penetrated the silence once more. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Right paths? Imagining myself among them, not knowing where to go, which path to take. I was sure these children had longed to know which path was best. Their journeys from South Sudan to Ethiopia took months to complete. How they hoped they would find the right path. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, John quoted, I will fear no evil. Evil had surrounded them in the form of soldiers, wild animals, snakes, crocodiles, disease. The fear of evil had been a part of their daily routine to live without fear when death had been a constant threat, had been a mere fantasy for them. And I understood why this was John's favorite passage of scripture. He continued, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. What a precious promise God makes to us when he proclaims, I am with you always. In the bad times and the sad times and the mad times and the glad times, I am with you. In the trying times and even in the dying times, I am with you. John understood the value of God's presence. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Their enemies had murdered their parents, their families, their friends. They had pursued them to kill them. But now, but now, as God has enveloped them, as Christ has shepherded them, as they have known the care of the shepherd, now all their enemies can do is watch them enjoy a feast and celebrate the festivities. What a transformation. That's what the Lord does. He prospers us. He transforms us. And John knew this better than most of us. You anoint my head with oil. Not as a regal rite, as an anointing a king, nor in a religious sense of recognizing a priest, but in a medical sense of treating their wounds. As you remember, the Good Samaritan treated the man who had been assailed by the robbers by pouring oil on his wounds. So these children had been wounded not only in spirit, but oftentimes, very oftentimes, in body as well. They had suffered many wounds in their wandering, without so much as a band-aid to treat them. But now, Jesus, the great physician, treats their wounds of body, mind, and soul. My cup runs over, John said. No one understands this better than one who spent months on the edge of starvation. The first time we took our five young men to a grocery store, they stood aghast with eyes wide. They surveyed aisle after aisle of food of all kinds. One of them remarked, we didn't know there was so much food in all of the world. My cup runs over. To the little boy at the microphone, 
This was a promise of abundance. Jesus promises abundant life to his followers. John understood it, and so do we. As he concluded, I could not contain my tears. They spilled over my eyelids and ran down my cheeks. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They had slept in the open air beneath a canopy of foliage for months. And then after reaching the refugee camp in the stifling crowdedness of that camp, can you imagine the appeal of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever? The trauma these lost children experienced is fortunately extreme. But in truth, the 23rd Psalm is a favorite for a reason. We have all been surrounded by evil of one kind or another at one time or another, have we not? We have all been lost at times and in need of a shepherd to guide us. Some have withered souls in need of being restored. Others are walking a fearful and threatening path and need the assurance that God is with us. We have needed the loving care of the great physician to tend our wounds. Still waters are needed in these turbulent times and the promise of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever gives us peace. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tenderness.